the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Now today, we've got a really, really good friend of mine, Mark, who's going to be sharing with us. Mark comes from a church, New Life Croydon, amazing church. He's a really good friend to me. He was uh, responsible for... Uh, teaching me when I was like 10 years of age, uh, straight through to my teen years. Um, and then not only that, he, he pretty much put his name on the line to get me into Bible college when I wasn't old enough. And I did a year in Bible college because, thanks to Mark. And not only that, after that, he gave me a job, an in- internship, an apprenticeship, and then raised me up and then released me to go be a youth pastor at another church and screw up their youth group. So they've got a lot to thank him for. I've got a lot to thank him for. And he also spoke at my wedding. So thanks for that as well, Mark. So Mark's going to be sharing with us. He's going to be closing our series, James chapter five, faction. Over to you, Mark. Can we give him a clap, please? Me and Andy go back a long, long, long way. And you wonder who's here this morning visiting. It's like, I feel it's like a step back in the past. So it's good to be here. So we are going to be looking at James chapter 5. Um, just so, just to get a quick recap, I've had a little listen. I was very impressed with you, Jodie. Bit, bit of a public speaker there. Oh, earlier in the series, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. So this is a li- real letter. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, we actually forget that these are real letters to real churches. So this was a real letter written to various churches. Um, and the main focus on James is not writing just for one person. He's actually writing because how we live impacts the community of believers. So we don't live in isolation. Um, the key theme, as name of the series, is faith in action. James is really, really keen that how we, how we live should be a result of our relationship with Jesus. That actually, if we've got a real meaningful relationship with God, if faith is real, it's going to be reflected in every area of our life, particularly how we relate to one another in the community. Um, I think Andy's mentioned that James is very, very direct. I think if James turned up at church, you would be like, whoa. He's not very sort of please, please. There's not a lot of pleases and like gentleness in James. He goes for it. It's, it's full of imperatives and commands. And a little bit of the passage we're looking at this morning is, it, it's like that. He's, he doesn't, he's, he's so concerned for these, these churches, he's so concerned that they, get, that they don't go off track, that he's willing to be really, really direct. I guess it's the equivalent of a parent who sees their child about to run into the road. You're not like, would you mind please awfully not running into the road? You're like, ah! You, it, that's kind of James's thing. So you can read it and think it's a little bit harsh, but behind it is a real genuine love for the church. So he's very, very direct. The last thing to say, just an introduction, is James is very unstructured. So if, if you read through the whole letter, and this is, this is, it's great to go through it, but quite a lot of what I say today is probably all been covered because James, he moves around. It's not like, I want to talk about this, now I've finished, I'll go on to something else. So he'll talk about one thing, go on to the next thing, then go back. So he's, he's, a, bit, he's a bit random. This is not some kind of university essay where it's well structured, you know, kind of beginning stuff, conclusion. He's just got stuff to say and he goes back. And it, so it's a little bit random in that sense. Um, so some familiar themes. So when I was reading this, 
I was thinking chapter five, what, what is God saying? So what I want to do is maybe talk a little bit about chapter five, but also sum up the whole series. And I think for me, when I read the letter of James, it, it, it asks one big question. This is the question I want us to think about this morning. And the question is, what kind of church do we want to be? And to help you, I have, I need three hands. Um, I've done a little diagram, just because I knew that Andy's quite good at stuff like that. So if you want to hand these out, and this should really, really help us. Andy is very good on visual, so I thought I'd better try and do something visual. <laughs> the other thing by way of introduction, I am not going to make any references to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. Okay, he's, not, he's not even heard that, you missed that bit. So, so this is a Jurgen Klopp free sermon. From early days and any opportunity to talk about Liverpool, Andy has squeezed into church life, but we're not, so it's... And prayer requests and prayer Yeah, yeah. So, what kind of church do you want to be? I think James presents us with two kinds of churches. We can either be a Jesus-centred church. So when Jesus is at the centre of our church, we will see Jesus' attitudes and behaviour starts with attitudes. How you behave towards someone will start with how you think about them. So James is really touching on, as we've seen in the series, on some really deep-seated attitudes. Attitudes will produce actions. So when it's Jesus' attitudes, it'll be Jesus' actions. That, where there's Jesus' actions in the church, that will produce unity. The church will be united, will be together. And where you have a united church with Jesus at the centre, you will have a radical community impact in the world. And that fits in very much with your, your vision statement. The alternative which James is concerned is a church on the surface can look the same. You have people gathering, but actually because Jesus isn't at the centre, self is at the centre. And where self is at the centre, there you've got selfish attitudes, and selfish attitudes, when we think selfishly, we get selfish actions. Where you've got selfishness then in the church, you get division. People are falling out, fighting, it's not good. And the ultimate result of division is you have a worldly, ineffective community. That's what's bothering James. He sees that the church can go either way. He wants them to be this Jesus-centered church, but actually he's concerned at some of the things he's seeing and hearing, that actually they're becoming quite self-centered. So. That's, that's the question. So what I want to do is look at chapter five very quickly is we are going to look at three kind of characteristics, three hallmarks of, I would say, of a Jesus-centered church. And James sometimes tells us what something is by telling us what it isn't. So two of my points are actually kind of negative points, but actually they're positive. So the first, we're going to break it into three sections. So James chapter five, verses one to six. The first thing we're going to look, we're just going to read it. Um, then just make a few comments. So this is James chapter five, one to six. It's come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. Pretty in your face. So I think the first hallmark of a Jesus-centered church is we're not caught up with all the materialistic, getting stuff, acquiring stuff mentality. We are different. James here is most direct. And if we read this, this is written obviously 2,000 years ago, but actually the, the issue that James is addressing here is so 21st century. That we live in a society, and I know this has already been touched on earlier, where James talks about how we treat those coming in and the practical help, but we live in a society which is so caught up with whole materialism. And I think that can be really obvious for some people, it's very in your face, but actually even for ordinary people, that kind of desire that I must have stuff and all the time the whole of the media is telling us, you know, if you do advertising, isn't it? you just get this one thing, you're going to be happy, you just need this one thing. And I think it's just a real reminder to us, because we might sit here this morning thinking, you know, I'm not materialistic, but actually just being aware that that is a thing that damages church. Because when we are so caught up with getting stuff for ourselves, it does two things. Firstly, it insulates us from God because the stuff becomes our God. That's why the Bible says so much about money. So that's why it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money becomes an idol. So when, you, when we get so caught up in the, the kind of dream of getting stuff and acquiring stuff and money, we're insulated from God. But James is also concerned, that, as we see here, that the second danger when we get caught up with money and stuff is it insulates us from others. We, instead of caring for others, we use others. So it's a massive, massive issue. James is just really honest. He's saying, you know, what, what are we investing our lives in? And he talks there about moths eating stuff. Now the idea that, you know, you can have all this stuff, all your nice finery, all your nice clothes, and the moths come and eat it. What? What's the point? What's the point? Um, one commentator I read, he said this about, the pe- the, what, 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 about these people. He said they lived without watching God's clock. They live without watching God's clock. Are we living with an awareness of God and what he's doing? The people here that James is talking about, we don't know. He might be talking about people in the church. He might just be reflecting on his society, probably a bit of both. But he's very clear. Is actually, as a church, as a community, we do not want to get caught up just in the rat race. Yeah, we need stuff to live, um, but let's, let's not get caught up in it. The, the danger, as he says, is when we get caught up with all that stuff, is we can become exploitive. We treat others dishonestly. We treat others how we shouldn't treat them. We need to treat others really, really, really well. I, many, many years ago, because I'm quite old now, back in the 80s, I used to work for the tax office. And I used to, um, it was really interesting. I used to do that investigation work and really catch people out. And it was really very interesting because when you catch people out, you used to see how basically people just get a little bit greedy. They just think, if I just fiddle it just a tiny little bit, and they'd probably get away with it, but then people don't, they don't stop there. 
that the fiddle gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's huge. And I remember so many times catching people, and they, they, I remember one lady, I still remember all these years later, she bawled her eyes out. But she wasn't, it wasn't because she was like, sorry, it was because she got caught out. <laughs> and she'd live dishonestly because money does that. Money does that. And just, just read that. It says, you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Pretty, pretty direct. Just to say the obvious thing here, the issue isn't so much getting stuff and money, it's our attitude towards it. It's our attitude towards it. So if we're going to be a, um, a Jesus-centered church, just watch our attitude towards money. Don't get kind of, I must have this, I must have that. You know, God, just to say, just to give an example, we need people in the church who, who God blesses. I was down, I, we have a friend, friend called Nathaniel, and he's doing this amazing charity project. He's setting up an orphan's village in Zambia, which I'm actually flying out to next week, which is exciting. Um, but one of his biggest supporters is this, this businessman who is an IT specialist. And this guy has, I don't, I don't quite understand, but he's basically come up with some um, IT system for courts, for managing court cases. And this man now is making serious money. But a lot of that money, he's just investing back into missions, into charity stuff. So he's a guy who's got money, but actually he's not using it to exploit. He's not using it to, to, to kind of get one over. He's using it to bless. So, you know, if God gives you money, praise God, but just, just guard your hearts. And that's, that's a common theme in James. Um, the second, second thing I'm going to talk about in James, the first one is, you don't, let's not be materialistic. The second one is, don't live for the now. Uh, verses 7 to 12, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives it. The early and latter range. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So I think the second hallmark of the Jesus-centered church is we don't just live for the now. Again, you don't need me to tell you, we live in this crazy instant society, don't we? Everything's now. We don't wait for anything. You know, you're down, and our tolerance, you know, first world problems, aren't they? You know, your film isn't downloading quick enough and it's like, this is a, this is a disaster. You know, you, you look at, Google, I do this, you look at Google Maps and you find a route which is one minute quicker. And it's like, and, we, and you know, you, and it's, thankfully now, like, because we would, you know, you know that I, I've got this thing that when I go to the supermarket now where you just kind of, because I want to, I don't want to wait, so I self-scan as I go around. And I, I look at all the people in the queue and, like, with this, you know, and I'm, but you know, like in the, even in the supermarket where you're looking like, how can I save one minute? And we live in this kind of instant, instant world. Why should we have to wait? And 
And even that, I think that comes into our spirituality. Sometimes you just want quick fixes. You know, we want, I just want to read the one book that's going to change my life quickly and hope it's a short one. I want to go to the one conference. I want to go and have one, the man of God or the, the lady of God just lay hands on me and I'm everything sorted. But actually what J- James says here is, the reality is it's often how God works in our, t- our lives is a process. He's writing at a time where there's pers- persecution. They're probably going for a tough old time. And right at the beginning in James chapter one, he says, you know, about, about, about stuff like this. He says, per- perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When God's working in our lives, it's not instant. It's a process. I remember when I was really little, my mum gave me a plot of land in the garden, probably about as big as that. And I remember planting some radish seeds, and she, I, well, I, and she always reminds me about this, and I planted the seeds with her, and the next morning I went running downstairs like, <laughs> where are they? Because I expect, I wanted them to grow overnight. But the reality is when God works in our lives, and when God works even in a church, it takes time. It takes time. Seeds grow, fruit grows, doesn't it? Fruit grows. And um, he uses the example here of Job. I, I love the story of Job. Job was a great man of God who went through a really tough time. Um, Satan tested him. He, he, really, really tough time. But Job said something amazing in the midst of his trials. He said this, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So the Bible uses the imagery when God's working in our lives, it's like refining of gold. I'm not a kind of gold expert, unfortunately. But I know this, if you want to kind of get pure gold, you have to really heat it up. And then they come away and scrape away all the impurities. And then they do that, they keep doing that process until pure gold is, comes forth. So why am I saying this? I just want to encourage you, there will be seasons in your life, maybe when you go through stuff, and you might be tempted to throw, to throw in the towel, to give up. Even in local church, sometimes we can hit issues where maybe like, it's just a little bit difficult. And we can think, oh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go somewhere else, I'm gonna give up. But actually, we, we hang in there. I just wanna add a little caveat. Personally, I think this is, the context here is trials. Um, when it comes to things like sickness and stuff, I, I personally believe God wants to heal us now. That's my a personal conviction. But I'm talking particularly about trials. That let's not get caught up with instant, instant. And again, with a church, like Andy's got a big vision. And I, you know, sometimes it would be great if it all happened tomorrow. But sometimes God's purposes take, take time to work out. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of a breakthrough. Something, it's like we move forward. But if we want to be a Jesus-centered church, don't, don't become obsessed with the now. And again, same thing. When we're obsessed with the now, we tend to get very short with other people. Talks about grumbling and moaning. We, we're, not, we're not very patient, but we've got to learn, give each other room to grow, actually realize that we're not all perfect yet. Give people grace. Brilliant. So don't, we don't live independent. We don't, we don't live for the now. And final thing to say is we don't live independently. If we're going to be a Jesus-centered church, we do not live independently. So last bit of the passage, and then I'm finished. Verse 19. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from his death and will cover a multitude of sins. So final thing about being a Jesus-centred church is, is we do not live independently. Two things that come out here is we are interdependent on one another and we are totally dependent on God. And again, we live in a world that it's all about your rights. You are you, you're an individual, you do what you want to do when you want to do it. And there's, a tr- there's some truth in that, but ultimately as Christians, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about God and it's about us together. So we're not to live independent lives. We're not meant to have a, a kind of live in isolation. We're not meant to treat church like shopping. We live in a, a world now where there's no brand loyalty. Did you know that? Like, like, like my, my parents went to the same supermarket week in, week out. But now you shop around and you, it's Lidl, it's a bit cheaper for something. You're gonna go to Lidl. But then you might go to Aldi, you might go back to Tesco's, we, we shop around. And if a new shop opens, we, we move around and we bring that into church. So actually, oh, you know, kind of, not sure about City Hill for this. I think I'll pop across and move around. We live, we live kind of very much for ourselves, but we actually we need to learn to form these covenant relationships where we are interdependent of one another, where we, we recognise that I need you, you need me. And that comes out really, really clear here. Um, he says, if you're sick, you're not meant to suffer on your own. What do you do? He says, call for the elders of the church, call for the leaders, learn to pray with one another. You know, we need to make it part of a natural part of church life that we share needs with one another. We're not meant to go through stuff on our own. He talks there about confessing sins to one another. That's a pretty, pretty tough thing, isn't it? Where actually we can be vulnerable and say, I'm struggling, I need help, pray for me. And obviously you need to be wise how you do that. I'm not saying you come in on a Sunday morning and just tell everyone all your darkest sins you've done but a, you get the principle that we're not meant to be, do things on our own he talks at the end of it in verses 19 to 20 that we're, we look out for those in trouble actually we're meant to rescue those if we see somebody going off the rails we rescue them we don't just kind of oh they've gone but actually we, 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 we've got each other's backs we've got each other's backs so we live totally lives in church where we're interdependent and finally as we come into land, we are totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God that we are, if we're going to be a Jesus-centered church, if City Hill is going to be the church that God wants it to be, it's great. Andy is the most creative, one of the most creative, per- every time I meet with Andy, he's, he's got about a million things that fizz in. But I know that Andy knows that ultimately he's not going to grow City Hill. It's not, it's his church, he causes the growth. 
We are totally reliant on him. That's why James talks about the need to pray. And again, he gives this example of Elijah who prayed huge prayers. Imagine praying it wouldn't rain. That'd be quite... Britain, that, that'd be huge prayer. Um, and the great thing is, actually, James makes a point that Elijah was a man just like us. That actually we can pray big, outrageous, audacious prayers. That we, we can be people who just learn to pray just big, big prayers. And we can anticipate God answering. Just as we finish, quick testimony about prayer. As a church, um, we ran, we've run a Sunday evening service for young adults for years, but we felt it was time to lay that down. It wasn't quite working. So towards the end of last year on a Sunday evening, we just started to pray and seek God. And um, one evening, we, we decided to pray for prodigals. You know the story of the prodigal son? We, we decided to pray for, for people who maybe had gone away from God completely or were drifting in their spiritual lives. And um, one of the things we did was we, we got like a big whiteboard and we got people to write names or initials or just a letter, something to symbolise who they were praying for. And then we began to pray. And, and I remember I really started to pray. There was a guy in our church who'd been quite involved. He'd, he'd been part of our, our youth team. And I just felt he was just like drifting spiritually. He would say he was still a Christian, but he was like, just, he wasn't really doing anything. And I started to really pray for him that God, will you move in his life? His name's Ryan. And I started to say, God, will you move in Ryan's life? Um, the next day, my wife, who's friends with his wife, she got a, a, like a, a, a WhatsApp video testimony. And this guy, Ryan, was sharing his story of what happened. And he was sharing how the night before, the night when we were praying, basically, he'd been with his wife, been with their family and gone home. And basically, he just had an encounter with God where God had just come to him and just spoken to him and overwhelmed him with his love and how in that moment he'd rededicated his life to God. And we're watching this kind of video. He, they didn't know we'd been praying. He's, he's got this video. Last night I met with God. At the exact time we're praying, God, will you, will you move with him? And that's to me so exciting because God can do more in a second when we pray. You know, we can do a lifetime. And, and he was so encouraged when we told him the back end of the story. Actually, right, we were praying for you. So as we finish, and as we finish the book of James, Faction, what kind of church does City Hill want to be? Do we want to be this Jesus-centered church where Jesus is at the center? Where if you're like a stick of rock, everyone know about a stick of rock? Where it says bright and all the way through it, where every, any space you cut through, it's Jesus at the center. And if we are going to be that kind of church, then those three things, let's, let's not get caught up in the, this, all this stuff and money and must get. Let's be selfless in that area. Let's not live just for the moment. And finally, let's live not in isolation. Let's live totally lives of interdependence. I need you, you need me. And let's live lives totally dependent on God. I'm just going to pray and then hand back to Andy. So, Father God, I thank you so much for this amazing church. And, Father God, I thank you that you've called, called them to be this, this city on a hill. And, Father, I do pray increasingly that individually they will be this Jesus-centred individuals. But Lord, as they are Jesus-centred individuals, they will be a Jesus-centred church. Father, I pray 
Lord God, they won't get caught up with the whole getting stuff and money and the whole 21st century stuff, Lord. But God, they'll live lives, Lord, with you at the centre. Lord, I pray they won't just live for the now, but that, Father, they'll recognise that you have got an eternal perspective. Father God, that you've got eternal plans and that you are in, you're just working your purposes out, Lord. And finally, Lord, help us to not live in isolation independently. Lord, we need each other. Help us to be that radical, caring community. And Father, help us to live lives that are totally, totally dependent on you. And we will see you do amazing, amazing things. So Lord, bless us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.